everyone and welcome to episode number 40 of the History Hotline. I cannot believe it's 40 episodes already. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and today's episode is 25 Facts About the Empire Windrush. So if you're listening day after release, then it's Windrush Day, 22nd of June 2021. 73 years since the Empire Windrush arrived at Tilbury Docks and I thought... I just give 25 facts today because we talk about the Windrush generation a lot on this podcast, but I don't think I've ever actually talked about the Windrush or given a whole episode to why it came, what happened, what it was all about, who was on the ship, you know, where the people went. So I thought I would give space to that today and give you 25 quick fire facts. Let me know in the comments on Instagram or send me a message or tweet me how many of these 25 facts you knew. I hope there's someone out there that knows all 25, but we shall have to see. I think if you know at least 20 of them, you're on the right tracks and you've been listening very closely to these episodes in the past. So well done you. Number one, the obvious. The Empire Windrush arrived on the 22nd of June, 1948. Number two, it docked at Tilbury in Essex. Number three, it was not the first ship to come to the, from the Caribbean in the post-war years. The SS Ormond and the SS Almanzora actually came between the end of World War II in 1945 and between the Windrush arriving. So the SS Ormond came in 1947 March and then in December, so only, you know, six months before the Windrush, the SS Almanzora came with um, fewer numbers um, of Caribbean people than on the Windrush, which is why the Windrush is a significant ship that we think about when we think about that start of migration. Number four, the ship was originally a German passenger liner given to Britain in 1945 as part of their reparations payback after the war. Number five, it was first called the Monte Rosa and it was converted to a troop ship and then renamed the HMT Empire Windrush in 1947. Number six, it was 500 feet and three inches tall. It had four diesel engines, two propellers and travelled at 14.5 knots which means I think around 26.9 kilometres per hour, so not very quickly. And because of that, fact number seven is it took 22 days to get to England from Jamaica. Number eight, flyers in the Caribbean were entitled Passenger Opportunity to the United Kingdom and they were the adverts that went out for people to decide to pay their fare and head on to the Empire Windrush. Number nine, the fare was... £28 and 10 shillings, which in today's money is about £600 to get to England in those days. Number 10, cabins were typically shared with other passengers, especially if they'd paid the lower fare, which was the £28 and 10 shillings. Number 11, there were 1,027 passengers from the Caribbean aboard the Empire Windrush. Number 12, as well as people from the Caribbean, there were actually people on board from Mexico, Scotland, Gibraltar, Burma, Wales and Poland. And we don't often think about those people. You know, it wasn't just Caribbean people on the Windrush. Number 13, 684 of the passengers were male. 257 were female, 50 were boys under the age of 12 and 36 were girls under the age of 12. Number 14, of the women that were travelling, the 257 of them, 188 of them were actually travelling alone, unaccompanied by husbands or fathers, 
which is quite an interesting fact for me because that image of the Empire Windrush coming in and arriving at Tilbury has very few images of women, let alone 188 unaccompanied women. Number 15, the most common occupation for these women on board was actually dressmaker. Fact number 16. So I'm going to give you a list of all the jobs that people and passengers on the Windrush had listed in order of popularity. So other was the most common option, which had 274 people. And of course, it would have meant that they just didn't fit into one of the categories I'm about to say. So housing domestic, 96. Mechanic, 85. Carpenter, 54. Clerk, 39. Tailor, 34. Student, 32. Welder, 23. Engineer, 20. Cabinet maker, 18. Scholar, 18. Machinist, 15. Fitter, 14. Electrician, 13. Civil servant, 12. Shoemaker, 10. And no um, occupation given was 45, which is a little bit higher. But as you can see, there were a wide range of professionals on board that ship. Fact 17 is actually some of the, I'll say, weirder occupations um, of some of the passengers. There was one hatter, one judge, one potter, two hairdressers, two piano repairers and three boxers. Number 18, a fact I think we're mostly aware of, the fact that many and the majority of passengers were actually ex-service men and also ex-service women hoping to re-enlist or secure employment in Britain following their period of service during World War II. The most common service they had been enlisted in was the RAF, as the RAF was one of the first services, I think the first actually, to allow black people to join and did not have a colour bar from the offset, whereas the armed forces did and ended up pushing even black people that were born in Britain and had generations of people before them born in Britain, like Harold Moody and his children, into the West Indian Regiment of the Armed Forces in the end. So, for number 18, we are looking at the fact that the majority of, of people aboard were ex-service men, RAF primarily. Number 19, there were several stowaways on the Empire Windrush, so whilst we know those numbers are about a 1,000, there would have been stowaways that got away with the, making their passage for free. However, some were found out. And there was one woman in particular who I will dedicate fact number 19 to, Evelyn Wolchope. Um, she actually attracted probably more press coverage than many other passengers when the ship docked. She left Jamaica unnoticed, but it became too cold to sleep out at night on the deck, so she gave herself up. The news actually spread across the ship and Mortimer Martin, who was manager of five Jamaican boxers on board, organised a whip round um, of the, on the troop deck and collected over £50. And the first class fare was actually £48. Um, and so she was able to pay for her fare and no longer be a stowaway because the law you're breaking when you're a stowaway is taking free passage without paying. Not necessarily, you know, any of the immigration like laws or paperwork or that kind of thing, um, which you might think is actually not paying the money. So if someone pays the money for you, it's not a problem. She was later quoted saying, There were no prospects for me in Jamaica. I could not get a normal passage, so I slipped aboard. I'm not telling you how. Troops fed me with food brought from their canteens. So... As you can see, it was a kind of nice story of solidarity aboard the Windrush uh, where they supported Miss Evelyn um, so that she could legally end up in Britain. 
So, with the passengers, fact number 20 is the majority of them stayed in London, around 296 in total, which is actually not that many out of a thousand. However, it was the most populous place. Other popular cities would have been Liverpool, Birmingham, Manchester, Plymouth and Bristol, in that order. Number 21. It was the 1948 Nationality Act that led to the Windrush's arrival. And the Windrush actually came one month before... Um, the Nationality Act was given royal assent, uh, which was about July 1948. And it was that act, actually, that meant that those people born into British colonies were, by law, citizens of Britain, um, and they would be allowed to move to Britain freely. As we know, this act was repealed in ways more than one in 1963 with the Commonwealth Immigration Act and during the Windrush scandal, which this episode won't touch too much upon. I think next week I might talk about the scandal. But for now, I will leave you with the point of the people that travelled on the Windrush and ships following were British citizens and there was no legal reason for their deportation at any point following on historically till this very day and in the future. Number 22, where it gets very juicy, British authorities actually wanted to turn the ship back. They wanted to turn it around as it got closer to British waters. On the Empire Windrush, there was uh, a future mayor of Suffolk, Sam King, who had served in England with the RAF. Um, And he was on board the ship and in recollection and and looking back on his time, he actually remembered the ship drawing towards England. And, you know, there was a lot of apprehension on board that the authorities would turn it back. Um, He got two RAF X wireless operators among the passengers to play dominoes outside the ship's radio room and eavesdrop on the incoming signals. And it was there that they heard on the BBC that Arthur Creech Jones, colonial secretary in the Labour government of the time, had pointed out that, and I quote, these people have British passports and they must be allowed to land. He added, they wouldn't last one winter in England anyway, so there was nothing to worry about. I always find it funny when I hear that, and I hear that a lot, it was common rhetoric, you know, they wouldn't last a a winter, but they had lasted winters. These are ex-servicemen and women that had lasted many winters during the war. I just don't understand. And they lasted many winters. They've lasted generations. And here we are today. Number 23 is the fact that 230 of those arrivals on the Windrush ended up sleeping their first night in Clapham Common, which was um, a war shelter, an air raid shelter, sorry, used during World War Two, but they didn't have enough housing for those people that had arrived and hadn't sorted out prior um, to to arriving, you know, a place to stay with maybe friends or family that they had in Britain. And so they had to stay in Clapham Common. And it was reluctantly that the colonial office actually opened that air raid shelter for them to stay down there, Um, which I think says a lot about the colonial office, to be honest. Um, But yes, this is where it all began. And the Labour Exchange nearest to Clapham Common actually happened to be the one in Brixton in Cold Harbour Lane. And so 
This is why Brixton became home to so many West Indian people and, you know, ends up being kind of one of the poorest areas in in Britain um, and in the country of, of black people when we move forwards towards the 1981 riots, which we looked at last week. Number 24, the front page of the Evening Standard was the only paper, I think, that the story of the arrival of the Windrush made front cover on. The headline was... Welcome home, 400 Sons of Empire. Very interesting that the daughters were not recognised. Those ex-service women who might have fought in the ATS or been a part of the war effort in other ways were not welcomed in the same way as the 400 Sons. Um, And I think it's quite interesting that they're referred to as Sons of Empire. You know, all sorts of of beautiful family-orientated connotations that clearly did not reign true once these people arrived and settled in Britain. And number 25, and I can't believe we're already at the end of the list, but it takes us to the Pathé Newsreel, which has become the symbol of the Windrush and the kind of biggest and most prolific uh, piece of footage um, in regards to Caribbean migration to Britain um, in the post-war era. It actually wasn't always the symbol and it was often, you know, not called upon um, when remembering the Windrush. But from the 50th anniversary in 1998, it did become that symbol and it's commonly cited. And it's used in so many documentaries about anything to do with race relations in the post-war era, 60s, 70s, 80s or even further on. Because it is that moment that we chart back to when we think about Caribbean migration into Britain. And so that Pathé Newsreel really is is the starting point. Now, I find it very interesting, the gendered use of the, you know, footage, the lack of women portrayed, um, this idea that everybody was an ex-serviceman, RAF, everybody was coming to seek a job, you know, to look after family back home. I find it very interesting how that was portrayed, um, considering the purpose of a Pathé Newsreel, which would have been to notify the public um, and as part of the media at the time. Now, we've come to the end of the list, but I have some reflections on the Windrush and on on Windrush Day. Um, You know, it's only the second Windrush Day, 2021. It's taken decades of campaigning um, from various individuals historically to have a day to to memorialise and to kind of signify and to really uphold in history this event. We have Windrush Square in Brixton, which is where the Black Cultural Archives are. And, you know, we have now physical spaces of remembrance, but there was no day, there was no memorial kind of, and not for there to have to be a memorial because a memorial signifies death in a way. But I think having a space and a place and a day for kind of a more physical representation and remembrance of this moment is important. But also on the flip side of that, you know, whilst this was the start of, a wave of migration that we kind of saw in the 1940s, 50s and early 60s. It wasn't the start of of black people's, you know, um, time in Britain. It it wasn't the beginning. However, for, for a lot of people, it's the beginning of the story. Now, it is the beginning in regards to, you know, people from the Caribbean coming in the post-war era, but, you know, people from Africa have been in Britain since the 3rd century AD. And that is to quote Peter Fryer and the opening lines of Staying Power. Take a shot because I've mentioned that book again. You'd have to listen to last week's episode if you <laughs> if you didn't get the joke. But I think you will probably 
be aware that the presence of black people in Britain did not start at the Windrush. Um, and the story shouldn't really end there as we think more negatively in regards to the scandal that saw people being illegally deported in the past few years and, and decades, really, actually. And so, you know, while we think back to, to black people, people of the African diaspora being in Britain, and we think about, you know, the black Tudors and the black Stuarts and those that were in the po- pre-World War One times in Liverpool, maybe, or Bristol. And we think about people in the interwar years that were rioting for their rights, the ex-servicemen in 1919. Um, and we think about those that were here during the war, not just from the Caribbean, not just from Africa, from America. African-Americans were in Britain. There were a women's regiment that were fighting in part of the war effort. Empire was a global concept. It was a global conquest. It was a far-reaching thing. And, And the Windrush is a consequence of empire, as is the migration of all other people from the African diaspora over time. And I think whilst it's very important to think about the Windrush and that generation in particular because of the barriers that they had to deal with and face and, and still kind of managed to to trailblaze and pave the way for, for my generation, generation before and generations after, I'm sure, it is very important, I think, to contextualise that arrival within a wider history of black people in Britain. And I hope that this podcast is kind of one step on the way of doing that whilst I do focus a lot on Windrush histories and the Windrush generation and those that came after, because it's most interesting to me, it's where my expertise lie, I think it's also important that we kind of dive into some of these earlier histories as well and map out, um, you know, how black people navigated this society prior to the ship arriving. But for today, for Windrush Day, we shall remember those that came before us. Um, It's a special... I think time in my family especially because, well, I found out that actually one of my granddad's cousins, actually, he's one of his oldest cousins, came on the Windrush. I didn't know this till this weekend. Um, and I managed to find his, like, I think it's a mock-up of a landing card. Um, the National Archives and Goldsmith University have the passenger lists. Um, they're really accessible, just online. You don't even need to go to the archives. And we managed to find out some more information about him because he's long passed away. Um, And it was just a kind of, oh, yeah, so-and-so was meant to be on the Windrush. And then we actually found his details. And that was really cool. Um, And the landing cards of, I think, the majority of ships that came before 1963 are actually available online. Ancestry.com is a great place to look. Just get a free trial. Um, And you can find, you know, family members if you have them or or even famous people... um, that were of that generation, kind of find more information about them. And it's a great kind of starting point to, I guess, understanding how close these histories are to us, even if you're not necessarily from the Caribbean, you know. This was only a few generations before us. There are, I think, a few people, probably like less than five, that are still alive that were on the Windrush. But, you know, they are still alive. This isn't history that isn't that long ago. And I think it's important for us to to remember that for sure. Uh, at this time and so with that we have reached the end of the episode i'm sorry if you're listening um this episode did not come out on monday morning it came out on monday evening i hope you would enjoy it in exactly the same way um and it fits into your tuesday routine maybe instead of your monday routine but thank you for your patience and i hope you have a wonderful week 
I hope that you have followed, you have left us a review, you've rated this episode and given it five stars, you followed us on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram and any other social media we have that I haven't remembered and that you're going to be here next episode um, where we're going to do more learning of black, British, Caribbean and yeah, all things black history. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week. Goodbye.